You're listening to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, where we firmly believe food should fuel your life, not restrict it. Each week, one of our registered dietitian nutritionists will motivate and educate you with accurate and reliable nutrition information to help you achieve your health goals using food. Whether you struggle with yo-yo dieting, weight loss, portion control, or simply just understanding the right eating patterns to get real, lasting results, you're in the right place. I'm Dietitian Kate, nutrition expert, ex-cardio bunny turned barbell junkie, and your host for today's episode. Are you ready to dive in? As promised, we are recording a podcast episode about diet and immunity. I feel like it's a bit overdue. I do too. I I think this is something we've both been getting asked a lot about this, whether it's on Instagram or in client consultations, people are asking what they they can do to boost their (laughs) immune system, which is the word that's always used. It's a hot, hot phrase, boost immunity. So what we did is we got on our Instagram and we put a little poll out there. We said, what questions do you have about diet and immunity? And we got a few responses that we are definitely going to cover today. I think a lot of it was stuff we were already planning on covering. Some of the big things around vitamin D and what you can do to help, quote, boost your immunity in terms of your diet, but also your overall lifestyle. We do want to say this is not medical advice, but it is nutrition advice. And as always, nutrition is very personalized. So you want to consult a dietitian when you look at your overall dietary pattern and make sure that making these changes are right for you. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, we want to share with you guys who is sponsoring this podcast. Who is it, Megan? Us. (laughs) (laughs) It's us. Specifically, our daily accountability program. We call it DAP for short. What was the name that Will wanted to change it to? Dip DAP. Dietitian in your pocket daily accountability program. (laughs) I kind of like it. It's growing up. I don't know. At first, you were not down with it, so. (laughs) I know. The dippity DAP. I don't know about that. But we have a few different coaching options here at Nutrition Awareness, and they all cater to the individual, and they're tailored around his or her specific needs, lifestyle, etc., But DAP is by far our most hands-on interactive coaching program at Nutrition Awareness. I'm super pumped about my new DAP people this month. Um, So we only take five people per dietitian. And that's because it's a lot of time (laughs) that it takes up for us. Uh, But basically... We talk to these clients every single day, whether it's through text or video chat. Um, We're kind of in your face all day, every day, helping you with any kind of challenges, issues, questions, goals, all the things. So we make sure that you hit your goals for the month. Yep. Totally. You can't really escape us. <laughs> We're making it sound kind of creepy, but it's really not. Right, but it's it's the right program for a certain type of person, which is why we have the application. Just so you're aware that this is going to put you in a space where you are not forced. It's not like we're holding a pistol to your face saying, follow your goals. But it's putting you in a position where you are forced to think about your overall goals and think about your day, plan ahead, overcome those little obstacles and excuses that have held you back in the past. So if you've used a program like Noom, it think about it's similar to that. But if you use it and you're like, man, I really just wish this was personalized to me. That's what DAP is. It's just like the exclusive elevated version, in my humble opinion. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what my clients who have done DAP that have previously done Noom have told me. They're like, this is so much better because instead of just some random coach who doesn't really know anything about me that's sending me a link to why I should exercise for 30 minutes, four days a week, you actually know exactly what my exercise goals are, what I'm working towards, what I'm eating for the day and all of that. Yep. We go a little bit below those surface level recommendations, which is why it's really cool. So if you want to go ahead and apply for the daily accountability program, I will leave that link in the show notes below, but you can also go to our coaching page on our website and there's the application right there at the bottom. It is orlandodietitian.com backslash coaching and you'll see the DAP button and you can just apply from there. Even if you're not really sure about whether this is the right program for you, if you have more questions, that application has a space for you to answer questions and one of us will reach out to you directly and make sure that you're good to go. And if DAP's not right for you, we have other options and we'll help you find the best fit. 
Anything else you want to say about our sponsor, Megan? Nope. Sounds our good. Sponsor, <laughs> Dap Us. If you listen to the last episode, don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The last episode Do. we did together, we did our little sponsor at the end, and it was just a mess. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Go listen. No, I think it's gold. All right. Let's talk about eating to support the immune system. Let's do it. Let's dive in. You start. Okay. Um. So, um, I think when you think about your immune system, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For me, I would say I'm like, okay, my ability to fight off sickness. Honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is my gut. And I don't, I have not looked into the numbers on this in a while, but I remember hearing the statistic that 80% of your immune system is housed in your gut. I don't know if that's the exact right percentage, but I'm going to bet that it's a high percentage. Um, and what, what I mean when I say that is that those little gut bacteria that are in there, you know, there's the good guys and there's the bad guys in there, but those good guys have a lot to do with your body's ability to fight off infection. Not only that, um, your ability to digest foods, your mood, their, your mental health, there are so many things that those little gut bacteria are related to. And I think immunity is one of those things that doesn't get discussed enough A lot of times in the winter months or when I have clients who have been sick frequently, it's one of those things that I bring up that they don't really, like sometimes I'll say, hey, have you ever heard of probiotics? And they're like, yeah, I've heard of them, but I don't really know what they are or what they do or what this has to do with me being sick. Or maybe they've heard, oh, if I take antibiotics, I should also take a probiotic, but that's not really the half of it. Mm -hmm. So do we want to keep going with the... So probiotic you, talk? Well, we can. I would say probiotic research is was so exciting when it first came on yeah, the scene. Yeah, agreed. Like, I was all up on it. I was like, probiotics, this is awesome. Like, this is great. Everyone needs a probiotic. But I think both of us, I think we've talked about this on another podcast. We kind of slowed our roll a little bit with our enthusiasm with probiotics. Not throwing them out the window completely, but just kind of realizing, like, oh, the research is showing this isn't just a fix-all. You can't just take a probiotic willy-nilly and... and say it's okay. Yeah, so I I think at first that's what we all thought. We all thought, okay, so we all need to be taking these pills that provide our body with this good bacteria. So we should all just be doing that, Mm -hmm. right? And I think over the years, what I've come to learn and what I've learned from the research is that what it's really about is the the foods that you're eating. And the foods that you are eating have a huge impact on the type of bacteria that you house in your gut and whether that's bacteria that's beneficial to your immunity or whether it's detrimental to your immunity. Yeah, those little bugs that live in your gut, they're like your children. So you want, <laughs> you want to feed them things to help the children grow. At least the children that you want around, the good kids. Maybe give, them, like a give them a good home. Yeah, give them a good home with healthy food. And probiotics can help support that. But the main driving factor is eating a diet that helps feed that good bacteria and mitigate the negative effects of the, quote, bad bacteria. Yeah, so just think about it in terms of, like, if you're someone who eats sugar all the time, you're going to have the type of bacteria that feeds off of simple sugars. And Mm -hmm. so those bacteria are going to also crave those simple sugars. Whereas if you're eating foods that are high in fiber and high in nutrients, your body is more likely to crave those types of food because that bacteria craves that type of food. Basically, we're just one big ball of bacteria, and our bacteria probably has a lot more to do with um, pushing us to do things than we know. We're disgusting. (laughs) You can be disgusting in a positive way, or you can be disgusting in a negative way. Meaning if you are, your bacteria, your disgusting bacteria are thriving and you feel good and you've got energy and your immune system's strong and you're getting up and taking each day by the horns, well then your bacteria, your good bacteria, they're being fed in a better way. They're being treated better. Your overall lifestyle and environment, I believe those have big impacts as well. I mean, we can't just say it's only one thing, but what you put into your body is going to directly affect it. So my big recommendations for clients when I feel like their gut bacteria is off for whatever reason, one of the goals I give them is to have at least one food with good bugs in it per day, food or drink. And so the main sources that I, so it's not just yogurt, I know everybody knows yogurt, but the thing with yogurt is there's only two types of probiotics in yogurt usually. Um, And think about probiotics like you would think about vitamins, like 
there's a ton of different vitamins. It's not just vitamin C. So you can't just ha take vitamin C and be like, all right, I'm good. I'm getting all my vitamins. Same thing with this bacteria. So yogurt has a specific type of bacteria and it does different things than the type of bacteria that's in something like sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha or kefir. They all have different types of bacteria. So you want to make sure you're getting a variety of those things. Now, in terms of sauerkraut, one thing that, one mistake that I've seen people make is they get it off of the, um, just in the shelf in the can section. That's dead. There's nothing alive in that. These foods have to be refrigerated to be alive for the most part. And so if you want that, bac you want that bacteria to be alive because if it's dead, it's not going to come back to life once it's in your gut. So there are lots of good brands out there for these types of things now, and you can actually find them. You don't even have to go to Whole Foods like you used to. You pretty much, I went into Winn-Dixie and they had sauerkraut. <laughs> it was <laughs> Cleveland kraut by the produce section, and they have a bunch of different flavors of it. And no, you do not have to love sauerkraut and eat tons and tons of it. You can just, you know, put it on your Power Bowl, put a couple spoonfuls on your plate for dinner, I would come home from work sometimes and just grab it out of the refrigerator and take a couple bites of it along with a snack or something else. Yeah, you're looking at me very weirdly, but... No, <laughs> admirably. <laughs> um, and then there's also some probiotic shots. Steer clear of the ones that are yogurt-based and have like 30 grams of sugar in them, but the ones that are like dill pickle flavored and I think Good Culture is a brand, a, a brand of them. I can't think of the other brands right now, but... Um, quite a few different types of kombucha that's another good one i have one client shout out because i think she listens to this she started drinking kombucha once a day like a serving of kombucha once a day and she had had problems with constipation for her entire life and now she poops every day and she could not be more excited about it that's <laughs> we're so happy for you <laughs> Another thing to help with gut health in terms of diet, the other layer would be to eat a diet rich in fiber. So probiotics and live active cultures are one leg and the other leg is to eating a diverse fibrous diet. So if there's only like one or two vegetables or one or two plant-based foods that you really enjoy eating and you're eating a lot of it, that's not going to be as beneficial as eating a wide variety and getting a diverse amount of fiber rich foods in your diet. And the good news is Plant-based foods, not just fruits and vegetables, have fiber. So nuts and seeds, whole grains, starches, the skins on the potatoes, those things have fiber and getting a diverse amount of those throughout the day are really going to help populate those healthy gut microbes. Yeah, let me take a, a step back. I didn't really explain why those foods we were talking about have the have probiotics in them. Mm. So if you think back to you know, 200 years ago before we had refrigeration, our main way of preserving food was to age it. A lot of our food was aged and fermented. And so we got a lot of good bacteria from eating those foods. But now everything's sterilized. Everything's pasteurized. We don't we don't eat Asian fermented foods other than yogurt on a daily basis. And so that's why those foods that all those foods that I named, those are things that are aged and fermented and have that bacteria in them. And then those good bacteria, once they're cultured in your gut, they feed off of the foods with fiber. Mm -hmm. So the things that you were talking about, the kale, the potatoes, the tomatoes, the blueberries, those are the food for the good bacteria to continue to keep them alive. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think we, I think we covered that that aspect of it, and and this makes such a huge difference just in my life in terms of changing my diet and making sure I'm getting more probiotics. I can digest dairy so much better than I could in the past when I wasn't eating any of these mm. types of foods. Um, I think my immune system is a lot better now that I'm eating these types of foods. So. I think it does make a big difference. We can't measure it and say like now your gut bacteria looks like this, but we know that it has a big impact on your health. So just eat some of these foods because all these foods are good for you. It's not like I'm telling you, hey, this chip might have something good in it. So go ahead and eat this chip. No, these things are all good for you anyway. So why not just add them into your daily routine? You know about fecal transplants? I have read a bit about this. <laughs> Um, but it was years ago, so I don't know how far they've come since then. I th they're pretty promising from what I've read. Uh, I think uh, the hot thing that a lot of people talk about is taking the, the fecal, the poop, from somebody who is 
thin or has a healthy weight and transplanting that into somebody who is considered obese and noticing the difference in somebody who is obese versus thins gut microbes from their fecal matter Mm -hmm. and transplanting it into someone else and seeing if that can help mitigate the effects of obesity and the chronic diseases that are often associated with obesity. Yeah, I've definitely heard it being used for for different types of treatments for uh, digestive disorders too. Yeah, and that shows the power that you were saying at the beginning of your gut, you know, it houses a huge percentage of your, your immunity and your, your gut microbiomes that affect everything in your, in your whole body. And if you think about the surface area within your body, your digestive system's humongous and it definitely has the space to house 80% of your gut microbes. So just kind of taking that in perspective when you look at your diet and knowing that what you're consuming and what you're putting directly into your gut is going to play a role whether you like it or not. Yep. Okay, what other things you wanna cover? Well, we made a little list here of things and We'll just hit on them pretty briefly because hard, let's start with the big one. Let's start with the big one, which is vitamin D. Okay. I think a lot of people, I know looking at our Instagram, we had a lot of questions about vitamin D. Okay. So what is vitamin D? Vitamin D has, it is one of our fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. And vitamin D has been associated with increased immunity, but I think where it really became, um, where it's really solid in the research is with bone health. So we know that a lot of people supplement with vitamin D3 to support bone health. It's something that a huge percent of the population is seemingly deficient in from blood tests. And one of the biggest reasons that we think that is because vitamin D comes, well, our body synthesizes vitamin D from the sunlight, from UVB rays. And in modern culture, we're inside, we're not getting direct sunlight very often, especially in those places where people aren't spending a lot of time outside because of the weather. Maybe they're not getting as much access to sunlight during the months that they are because they're inside. Anyway, so people are just deficient in vitamin D and there are studies and theories coming out that low vitamin D could be contributing to poor immunity. We can see that people that have established autoimmune conditions like lupus have lower levels of vitamin D. So now they're emerging research uh, about whether supplementing with vitamin D is going to help improve or boost overall immunity despite not having a concrete autoimmune disease. There's also been some emerging research. There's a correlation um, in Southeast Asian countries. This was looked at uh, between people who got COVID-19 and had they also had low vitamin D levels. And it, which is which is kind of crazy because when I think about Southeast Asia and the countries that I've been to, they're outside way more often than we are. And weather-wise, it, at least where I was, it was a lot, a lot sunnier. Where were you? Uh, in the Philippines. Oh, okay, gotcha. Not than Florida, but I just mean, like, in typical places in America. So so that's one thing. It, it's not like, oh, hey, you have low vitamin D levels, so you're definitely more at risk of COVID for COVID-19, but it's one of those things that are correlated, so maybe there is something there. Maybe there's not. Yeah, makes you raise an eyebrow. Right. One thing that I get a little bit cautious of with any kind of supplement, especially like a fat-soluble uh, supplement where there is a toxicity level, is when people hear on the headlines like, oh, vitamin D can help boost immunity. And so people run to the store and they get you know, a supplement of vitamin D3 that's 10,000 IU and they're taking it every single day yeah. and not really understanding that there could be a negative side effect from taking too much vitamin D. Yeah, if you're, if you're taking vitamin D, which I would actually recommend right now, and I'm not Unless I'm working with you personally, I don't say like, hey, you need to go take this without speaking to your healthcare provider. But I'm taking 4,000 IUs per day. I don't think it would hurt you to take 4,000 IUs per day, especially if you've had your vitamin D levels checked in the past and you've had low vitamin D levels. I'm typically around a 22 to 26. If I don't supplement, if I do supplement, I can get up in the 30 to 35 range. So if you've never had your vitamin D tested, now's a really good time to do that. You can order your vitamin D test yourself. If you go to questdirect.com, you can order your own at 60 bucks. You go, they take your lat or they take your blood and you'll get the results within a few days. Anything below 30, you would want to definitely start a supplement. Oh, I read before 20 or Uh, lower than 20, but not optimal. So that's, Uh, so it's deficient versus insufficient. I don't forget the wording that they use, but anything below 30, you're not optimal. mm. So if we want it to get to optimal range. So for me, like 
yeah, I'm not gonna die from it, but I'm not optimal unless I'm taking a supplement. Except for right now, because I've been outside a lot, I probably, probably have plenty of vitamin D right now. Yeah, it makes me want to go get my labs tested again because I've been taking the supplement, but I've been doing it every day. I think mine's 4,000 IUs as well. But I'm like nervous to take too much of it because I don't know where my blood levels are. And I'm like, you know what? I just need to go to the physician's office anyway. So next time you go to your primary care doctor, just make sure you specify you want your vitamin D drawn. And it's interesting to see those numbers. I've, where I was reading that was pretty consistent was that you didn't want to go over 50. Gotcha. Okay. So... Okay, That's and I really started to notice a, a negative side effect, especially when correlated to bone health. Meaning, you don't want to go over fifty. Like when you get that test, and if that number is fifty and above, you need to bring down your supplementation or stop those supplementation for a period of time. Not the the IU's that you're looking for is four thousand or less, mm. unless you are taking like a weekly dose. Because I have some clients whose physicians put them on like a dose of ten thousand IU's once a week mm. or something like that if they've had a severe deficiency. When you are taking your vitamin D supplement, just know that vitamin D is fat soluble, meaning you need fat to really get the most bang for your buck and absorb that vitamin D. So take it with a meal or take it as an oil just to make sure that you are actually absorbing it and you're not just throwing your money out the window. Agreed. And I think this is one of those things where there's some pretty good research behind it. It, It's definitely correlated with a better immunity. It's correlated with better bone health. Yes, there are other studies out there that say that there's no effect, but who cares? This is a super cheap thing for you to take and it's probably not going to cause you any harm as long as you're not taking crazy amounts of it. So why not just add it? It's something positive that you could do to positive possibly affect your immunity so why not it's preventative exactly that's the thing nobody wants to do anything preventative (laughs) all right let's talk about vitamin c the other vitamin that is highly highly associated with immunity and that's because of emergency that powdered supplement that people just seem to drink it excess whenever they get a cold I, i remember when i worked at the hospital we worked in a small office with like 30 people and whenever one person had a cold, there was this one girl in the office that would go around and, and pass us out yeah. packets of emergency. And I think we all kind of like knew, we're like, well, it's going to help us possibly not get as severe of symptoms if we caught a cold, but it's not really going to make that big of a difference. <laughs> it's not like she's just curing us with vitamin C, but... There are some studies that show when you are consistently getting enough vitamin C in your diet, whether that is through a supplement or through food, that it can help lessen the severity of a cold or flu. But if you already have the cold or flu, you're kind of screwed. You can't really do much about it in that moment. I'm not telling anyone to do this, but when I start to feel like I'm getting sick, I take a thousand um, milligrams of vitamin C like every three hours. Well, you know, <laughs> my people also like mind over matter. We can't dismiss that because if you're like telling your body, hey, I'm fixing you, I'm fixing you, maybe it's like you can trick it. <laughs> and it's not anything yeah. to do with the vitamin C. It's like, oh, I'm getting fixed. I'm and getting the thing sick. with vitamin C versus D, I know we were like really harping on not taking too much, but D is a fat soluble mm-hmm. vitamin, which means your body can store it and it holds on to it. Whereas vitamin C is water soluble. So usually if you're taking too much of it, you're just filtering through with your kidneys and you're going to pee it out and your pee is going to be bright orange or bright yellow. So it's not it's fun. So we're not really at super high risk for toxicity unless you're taking a ton of it all the time and your body just can't work through it like the those people who eat gallons of carrots in a day and their skin turns orange. Have you seen those people? Yeah, the beta carotene. Yeah. Yeah. Like our little babies, where they get little orange noses oh. because they have all the baby food with sweet potato and carrots. Oh, I've really never cute. seen that. Yeah. I'll show you some of my baby photos. I think that's I think that's what's happening <laughs> to me. But yeah, there's no harm in taking a lot of vitamin C. And you know, if you want to spice up your water and put a packet of emergency in there, it tastes good. And then I didn't know that it turned your pee orange. Well, That'd any, be fun. I mean, anytime <laughs> I take any kind of multivitamin or vitamin C, vitamin anything, my pee turns yellow or orange. Yours doesn't? No. Wait, But I'm what? jealous. You know what? The only thing that's ever turned my pee a weird color was like this UTI thing I took. And it was like yeah, neon I know orange. About. Yeah. That shocked yes, me. Yes. I like shot up like a bullet from the toilet. Okay. Like, so wait. 
Do you take a multivitamin? <laughs> yeah. And you don't notice a difference in your pee color? No. Is it just because you've taken it for so long no. that you're just used to seeing it? Get out of here. No, no. Okay, because I've talked with clients about this before. Once they've started taking some kind of vitamin or supplement, and they're like, is my pee supposed to be this color? I'm like, yeah, sure. But it's only like maybe the one or two times you pee like after you take it. It's not going to stay like that all day. I just would assume maybe I was dehydrated or something. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. No, your bo- your body must be really absorbing all of the mm. things that you're taking. <laughs> like a sponge. Maybe my body just poorly absorbs the the multivitamin that I take. So I don't know. This is this, this is, is a very thing. interesting this is th- to me. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take a week off from my multivitamin. Okay. And then I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna like a little scientist. I'm gonna <laughs> take, keep a little notepad by my toilet. <laughs> And take notes. <laughs> I me I don't know because even if I t- if I've taken some of those like greens, you know those like green powders mm-hmm. or things like that, even my pee will be like a tinged of green too. Mm-hmm. So. I haven't taken a green powder in a minute. This is like a fun experiment. <laughs> Add a little pizzazz to and, my life. Yeah, and basically all it means is that your body's not absorbing all of those nutrients, which is normal. And so, like beets, if I eat beets, oh it'll yeah, be beets. A, l- a little pink yep. too. I've so. noticed beets. Okay. Well, yeah. So anyways, vitamin C, yes, it may shorten the duration of your cold or help with the symptoms. It's not going to make you not sick. It's not going to all of a sudden get rid of anything for you. But again, like no harm in taking that. I have vitamin C in my multivitamin that I take on a daily basis. And if I do feel under the weather, I will pound the vitamin C and take about a thousand every few hours. And it probably doesn't hurt that your diet's probably naturally just high in vitamin C anyway. I mean, vitamin C is in lots of leafy greens. It's in citrus fruits. It's in bell peppers, kiwi, yep. et cetera. Yep. So any kind of fruit and vegetable, pretty much you're going to have some kind of vitamin C in I, it. I don't know if you saw us on our Instagram, but we had somebody ask us about zinc, zinc oh. and immunity. And so I was just kind of curious. I was like, well, you know, what, what provoked you to start taking a zinc supplement? And she said her boyfriend swore by it for immunity, but she was like, I don't really know. I just kind of take it. Yeah. And I find that to be true with a lot of people who take a bunch of supplements. I don't think she was specifically taking a laundry list of supplements. I see that a lot. Um, but she was just like, yeah, just kind of take it because immunity. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, immunity. Cause, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I started doing some research about that. And really, (laughs) there is, like, no direct evidence that zinc is going to help improve immunity. I think it was in the short term. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Because deficiency is really rare in civilized, uh, you know, U.S., like, modern Western cultures. And I think this is because the zinc is, like, stored in your cells and just pulled from when it's needed. But there are lots of things out there about zinc lozenges which was a new thing to me. And so I don't know much about zinc lozenges. Lozenges. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I don't know much about it. I can't even read it. (laughs) It's not even spelled with an R. Where was he getting that? (laughs) But there was a lot of people... I I didn't see this, but apparently there was a lot of people saying like, oh, it can help prevent or treat COVID-19. Okay, yeah, I didn't didn't see that. I I just read that somewhere between like 65 and... 90 micrograms of it in the lozenge could help reduce the severity yeah. of a cold. Yeah, it's just taking a, a normal amount of zinc, not trying to overdo it. It could help improve immune function and reduce the risk of respiratory infections. And keep in mind that these studies are often done by the companies like Emergency <laughs> that, and the zinc, Zycam is the company that does the zinc lo- lozenges. So you got to take that with a grain of salt, but again, um, the risk is not high. So if these things are relatively Mm -hmm. cheap and you want to add them into your day, like you can get a multivitamin that has some zinc in it, no big deal. It's not a big decision that you have to make. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you can just add it into your day. I don't think it's going to make or break you, but I also don't think that it's going to harm you in any way either. Agreed. Um, elderberry is kind of the same thing. Like there were some small company funded studies that showed it could reduce the symptoms and the duration of cold and flu. But again, they were small studies. They were funded by the companies that, you know, provide elderberry syrup or manufacture these elderberry supplements. So it didn't seem like it's going to prevent anything from happening. So maybe that doesn't mean that necessarily increases your immune system on a daily basis, but maybe it would help you to fight off the cold once you had it. 
Do you ever supplement with elderberry? No, I've, yeah. I got a free elderberry syrup from like one of these dietitian things that I went to at one point and I took it. It was, I think like a tablespoon of it or something like that. I thought it tasted disgusting and then I just never used the rest of it and I've never searched for it since then (laughs) maybe it'd be good in a margarita (laughs) (laughs) an elderberry margarita so like let's depress our immune system with the alcohol but if we add the elderberry to it then i don't know speaking of alcohol (laughs) i don't i didn't put this on our little we i make a little outline just to help my brain but alcohol and immunity i don't know i'm assuming it's bad i I know right (laughs) i was trying i was like maybe i should look that up but i just know that after i drink i don't feel very hot I don't, I mean, hangovers don't feel good. I don't feel like it puts your body in a great position to start fighting off infection, virus, bacteria. So if you're constantly drinking and always feeling sick, maybe check yourself before you wreck yourself. Well, the one thing that I could point to science-wise is that when you drink, you don't get as restful sleep. Mm -hmm. So it interferes with the amount of restful sleep that you're getting and the less restful sleep you're getting the lower your immune system is going to be. Ah, we should talk about sleep. Okay. I mean, these transitions, guys. <laughs> Flawless. Flawless. It's like we're pros or something. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the bottom line is if you're not waking up feeling rested, you're messing up everything in your body, whether from from your immune system to your ability to gain lean muscle, to your ability to mm-hmm. lose fat, your ability to regulate your cravings. All of those things are completely gone haywire if you're not getting enough sleep. So first and foremost, before you go and buy a multivitamin, buy zinc, buy vitamin C, buy vitamin D, you need to make sure you have a plan that you're getting at least eight hours of sleep every night and you are waking up feeling rested. Mm. If I ask you how many nights a week do you wake up feeling rested and the answer is four or less, you really need to make some big changes there. Those big changes start at bedtime because I think, you know what, I don't know if you've noticed this. I mean, everybody's different, of course, but I, so many people can do things, make changes, but for some reason around bedtime, it is so hard for people to just like unwind. Like I feel like people are just like wired on their phones and TVs hours before bed and then they're wondering like, oh, why do, why do I feel so groggy in the morning, you know? And they're looking at screens and... They just can't unwind and relax and it's impacting their sleep. And they're up till like, you know, 1 a.m. looking at crap and waking up at 7 a.m. being like, oh, what, what I find is, is people feel like they need that me time. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things packed into their day and into their lives that the only me time they get is 10 p.m. to mm-hmm. 1 a.m. So they're willing to stay up so they can watch Netflix or scroll Instagram or whatever because they feel like this is my me time that I'm getting. And if that's the case, we need to reorganize your life. We just do. Like if you're not getting that time because then you're taking away the amount of time that you are going to be able to spend with your loved ones, your family, whatever, because there's direct correlations between the the smaller amount of sleep you get, the shorter your lifespan is going to be. Yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's um, a mic drop moment there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the less sleep you get, the shorter your life's going to be. Shorter sleep equals shorter life. So if you're saying, you know what, I need to be up for these late these three more hours so I can get my own me time, but I have to take care of this, this, and this beforehand, I think we need to do some reorganization. I think you need to book a consult. <laughs> <laughs> or dietitian.com. Yeah, who would have thought? I, I feel like I'm... I could call myself a sleep coach because, I, I mean, I never would have thought that and I never would have thought I'd be that into it. But after looking at the research and seeing the changes that people make and how big of a difference it makes for them and seeing results, yeah, we, we hit sleep hard. You've taught me a lot about sleep. Just having conversations with you and kind of, I mean, I've always known like, oh, sleep's really important. I know all of these things that happen while you're sleeping that are important. But then you've really opened my eyes to actually experience how important sleep is on another level it's like yeah we can know okay sleep's good we need to sleep but all of these things that can take effect when you are even just slightly sleep deprived i mean i've really noticed it if i go on a trip and i'm i can't sleep on a plane like that's just my type i can't sleep in a car it's very difficult for me i feel like garbage for days afterward even if it's just like a two hour time difference and i got a little bit less sleep than i normally do even if it's just like two hours less 
it is so hard for me to bounce back and get into a routine. And so then I think about people who are living every single day on five or six hours of sleep and they almost wear it like a badge of honor. I'm like, you must feel like garbage. Like, do you even know how good it feels to get eight hours of sleep? How like awesome that is? Yeah, I remember working full-time at the hospital and I wanted to get there as early as possible so I could get done as as early as possible, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to bed any earlier. And I remember just feeling like I was in a fog mm-hmm. constantly and also moody as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember feeling that way. And then now, now that I have more um, freedom over my schedule and I make it a priority to get that sleep, I don't feel that way anymore. Moral of the story, sleep's important. Sleep's super important. I would put sleep way above any of these supplements, vitamins, minerals that we've talked about already when it comes to immunity. I would put that as number one. Yeah, before even exercise, that's a big thing. People that want to get up early to exercise because that might be the only time that they feel like they have to exercise. I'd put sleep before exercise. I'd say if it means that you have to shorten your workout or move it around later in your day, but you get an extra hour of sleep, put that sleep first. I would agree with that. Something else that really impacts sleep and immunity that we can talk about is fasting. So I, you know, I I remember first like reading about this when, um, oh man, what's his name? Peter Atia. He's like the big guy who's in intermittent fasting. He has all this information about it. You have a course about it too. And fasting before bedtime really, really helps with your body's ability to start taking care of its overall immune system because it's not busy digesting food. So your body's not putting in all this energy to break down nutrients, absorb nutrients, deliver them to muscle cells. It has time to focus on repairing cells and strengthening your immunity. That being said, I think sometimes people know, I think most people know that there's different types of fasting, but it's not a good idea to start going on like multiple day fasts because when we were looking at studies of fasting and and tell me what you know too, is the power of fasting happens during those feeding periods after fasting. So the good things happen when you start to feed yourself again, but it's just strengthened after those periods of fasting if you're putting good things in. So if you're going days and days without eating and trying to strengthen your immunity, that's not gonna be beneficial. But if you're going 13 hours a night without eating, that will make the times when you are eating those healthy things better because your body has that time to actually utilize those nutrients without food and then utilize those nutrients to their fullest capability when you are eating. I would agree with that. I I think people try to make fasting way more complicated than it actually is. All it means is that you've taken a period of time where you're not eating. And so for most people, that longest period of time is going to be overnight when they're sleeping. Now, the problem is when you're eating dinner late, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and then you're going to bed at 10 or 11, Well, your body isn't utilizing all of that food, all of that fuel that you put in there because it doesn't need fuel to sleep. Your body should be resting and repairing overnight. So the natural circadian rhythm says the sun is down, it's time for us to rest, it's time for us to repair. When you're putting food in the system, well now, all of those systems that you describe now have to go to work and work overnight. And so then when you wake up in the morning and you start drinking coffee and you have breakfast, all those systems have to go back to work again. So whatever was supposed to happen overnight isn't going to happen as efficiently. And so there's been some studies that have proven that you get better rest when you don't eat close to bedtime, which makes sense because your body isn't working on digestion. So that's one of the things that I coach people to do if they are having problems falling asleep or staying asleep is eating earlier in the night. And there's no like perfect cutoff time of like, you have to be done by six o'clock PM. It's your lifestyle. What have you done throughout the day? When are you going to bed? When are you waking up? And I think a a good general rule to start with is just try to take 12 hours off. Like, see how that feels. So, if you're done eating by 8 p.m., don't eat again until 8 a.m. Okay, see how that feels. Is that a good routine for you? Great. Can you stretch it out a little further? Maybe you're done at 7 p.m. and you don't eat breakfast until 8 a.m. and see how your sleep feels. I know when I started paying attention to it, I felt like I was sleeping like a rock. (laughs) I had a client who he would wake up 
at like four o'clock in the morning, just for like a couple hours and he would like eat something and then he'd go back to sleep. And he's like, I just always wake up at 4 a.m. I'm up. Sometimes he would take his run because <laughs> he was starting to exercise and then he would go back to sleep. Oh, wow. And so we started implementing that basic intermittent fasting protocol where he just wouldn't eat for 13 hours. Mm -hmm. And he, towards the end, we were doing, he did the um, six month coaching program with us, the nine sessions. At around his sixth or seventh session, he was like, I'm really waking up at 4 a.m. Like, I'm, I usually just kind of can sleep until 6 a.m. now, mm -hmm. and I don't go back to sleep. And I'm like, I wonder if that has to do with the fasting. <laughs> and he's like, oh, he was really, like, one of those relaxed guys. Like, I'd ask him, you know, like, prying questions, and he'd just be like, yeah, it might be. Everything's, everything's fine. <laughs> it was great. I was, like, I was like, okay. Well, then I'm like, well, is this something you're going to continue to do? And he's like, yeah, it's easy, and it's doing something. It's helping yeah. him eat less overall, and he was sleeping through the night, which was new for him. He said for years he had just been waking up at, like, 4 a.m., and just going back to sleep a couple hours later, I didn't understand it. But, hey, it's a testament that it works for some people. Mm -hmm. And it's worth trying. Like you said, if 12 hours without eating, you can do it. You can do you it. You can do it. <laughs> because most of it, you're going to be laying in your bed anyways. One other dragon I wanted to slay. Unless there's anything else about fasting you want to talk about. No. Uh -huh. No, we're good. So one other dragon I want to slay on today's podcast episode about immunity would be body composition, meaning if you are obese, are you more at risk for diseases like COVID-19 or anything? I know you're more at risk for vitamin D deficiency. This is true. Yeah. This is true. You will need higher amounts of vitamin D if you have more adiposity. It's a fat-soluble vitamin. Okay. But when it comes to your weight and immune function, it seems to be pretty consistent that people who have a normal, and I almost hate to say this out loud, I almost hate to say it, normal BMI tend to have stronger immune function. But we know that BMI is not a very good marker of health because we all know somebody who has like a 29-30 BMI that classifies them as obese if they're 30, but they don't look obese to the, the naked eye and they get their body scan done and their body fat percentage is in the healthy range. They've got no visceral fat, meaning no fat hanging around their organs. So it's kind of hard to say like, oh, is somebody with a 30 BMI more at risk for autoimmune or immune complications or diseases compared to someone with a normal, quote unquote, normal BMI at 23? Generally, no. BMI is just an easy number for researchers yeah. to use to tell like whether someone's at a healthy weight or not. If Now, if you're not in normal BMI range and you've only been in a normal BMI range in high school, like if your BMI says you need to be 180 pounds and you haven't been 180 pounds since high school and now you're 40, is it realistic for you to get there and stay there? No, probably not. Mm -hmm. But just know that BMI is just a number that's one of the easiest things for researchers yeah. to use to know whether someone's at a healthy weight or in an extreme obesity category. And that's where I would look at it. You know, if your BMI is over 40, okay, it's kind of hard to argue that maybe you're probably carrying more fat mass than you need because then it's accumulating around your organs, it's impacting other functions in your body. But there's that huge gray area between like, you know, 28 and 35, you know, I'm just kind of throwing out numbers there where it's kind of hard to tell, like, wh what is your, you know, so you have to really take an inside look and see, okay, what is your body composition? We can see with studies in the critically ill conditions, so meaning if you are in the ICU of a hospital, that your risk is higher if it's your BMI is over 40. So interesting. Yep. Just Were there any studies. other like specific studies that you found? No, um, I think they were studying a lot of it um, with the ventilator in relation to people being on oh, a vent. Okay. okay. But when you're on a vent, your body's already in bad shape anyway, and so it doesn't really necessarily mean, um, you know, if you are on a ventilator, which means your body's breathing is being supported by a machine, when you have a BMI of over 40, your risk of successfully getting off that ventilator and your lungs being able to do the work for you again are lower than somebody who is below 40. Gotcha. That makes sense. So when we hear all these things of saying obesity is a risk factor for COVID-19, I don't want to say it's conclusive, but your body's, you know, if you have more mass on you, it's harder to breathe and fight off things because you're just a larger person. You have more to fight off. Well, and think about, think about lifestyle factors. So, yeah. I mean, th sure, there are a lot of people who are overweight who don't have a healthy lifestyle. 
if you are in that overweight category and you are exercising, so something that boosts your immunity and you're eating well, something that boosts your immunity, maybe you're taking a couple of supplements, something that boosts your immunity. So if you have that healthy lifestyle, but you're in that higher BMI range, I wouldn't worry as much than if you're in that BMI range that puts you in that risk category, but you're not doing any of these other things that we talked about. Mm. It's really the lifestyle factors, not necessarily like the exact number of your weight or the exact number of the BMI that's putting you at risk. It's what's putting you at that number right now. Do you have a healthy lifestyle and you're maintaining where you are? Or are there some things that you need to change there that would put you at a lower risk in all these other categories as well? Yep. Big picture. Big picture. Um general exposure is something else we oh. want to talk a little bit about so this is something i feel really passionately about is general exposure and sometimes i know right now is a unique time because everyone's using their hand sanitizer it's very important to sanitize things but growing up i was not a clean freak like my mom wasn't a clean freak i ate dirt i used to like this is so weird. I think I told you this in the podcast before. I used to like drop Tootsie Pops in the dirt with my friends. Oh, this was bi- not with me. No? You were not talking to me about this. Okay. So like as kids, we would go to the ball fields and <laughs> me and my friend, would, we would drop our Tootsie Pops or Blow Pops in the dirt and then like rinse them off because we thought it was like seasoning. Um, but we would like rinse them off. But I was thinking about that. I'm like, we did that all the time and I I never get sick. <laughs> like I don't get sick. I mean, if you think about it, like, one of the things that builds your immune system is being exposed to these different bacteria and these different viruses. And once your immune system is exposed to those things, it can develop antibodies to protect you against being exposed to them again. Mm -hmm. So if you live in this bubble and, you know, you've used hand sanitizer every three seconds for your entire life and you've never been out in nature or walked barefoot in the grass, like, you Mm -hmm. haven't been exposed to a lot of these things. So you're much more likely to get sick your digestive system is much more likely to be wonky if you haven't exposed it to different foods um so i'm all i'm all for the exposure of you know put your hands in the dirt put your feet in the dirt (laughs) go out in nature like yeah you know expose yourself to some of these things i know right now it's probably not the best time to give people that advice because we're all trying to kind of limit our exposure as much as possible but i think in normal life if you have been exposing yourself to these things i mean I see people at the dog park that, like, won't pick up their dog's balls, you know, they'll only, like, kick them because they don't want to, like, pick them up and touch them, and I'm, like, here, Norman, like, take it straight out of my mouth, like. (laughs) seriously, I had this neighbor that used to put peanut butter on the roof of his mouth and this dog lick it out, and I was like, it's not right, it just ain't right, but think about that immune system, baby. Oh, God. He's doing it for the the immunity. Well, and plus, like, even with social distancing, like, you could go and put your feet in the dirt, and, like, you're not gonna, you're gonna be fine. Like, Mm -hmm. just build your overall immunity for next time there's a pandemic. Yep, agreed. And I feel like I just, just being, I mean, I'm going back to like first and second grade and I'm thinking about the kids who had the hovering Mm -hmm. helicopter moms who like made them bring their lunch and these like super, you know, like everything's like vacuum sealed and they, you just know like the moms that didn't let their kids do anything and that were like super hyper protective and the kids were themselves carrying the hand sanitizer and then I think about it and I'm like that kid was sick all the time <gasps> like they were never in school because they were sick all the time yeah agreed and you see that with adults too I mean I don't see it as much anymore because it's not like we're working in an office environment but I remember again in the hospital the girl that was handing out the emergency she'd also go put her gloves on and wipe down all our desks for us and she was (laughs) always gone sick I was like your PDO is flying out the window with all these little illnesses and I don't you know who knows what else was going on but I just happened to notice that and my dad he worked at schools he was a teacher or guidance counselor Mm -hmm. he's like my immune system is you know like a brick wall because I just was in this bacteria infested building for my whole adult life <laughs> yeah. and you know obviously his whole life because he was a kid at one point and he doesn't get sick either mm-hmm. he's around coughing hacking boogery kids <laughs> i was talking to uh, one of the one of my teacher clients and she said that everybody tells you your first three years of teaching you will be sick all the time but then after that you'll probably never get sick again because your body will just develop so much immunity to all the things So I don't know if that's true, um, but that's what she told me. Pure speculation. (laughs) So our advice is go play in the dirt, go hang out at schools. Actually, that's probably not good advice. (laughs) Not now. Don't do that. Um, Especially, yeah, you don't want to get like accused of something. I digress. 
Okay, well, let's kind of sum up our big points here because we covered a lot. We got a little sciencey in this episode. So bit. yeah, I think number one is like the least sciencey thing is just make sure you're getting enough rest. Mm-hmm. Prioritize sleep above all else. So whether you're feeling under the weather or whether it's just a normal day, prioritize sleep. The way that you tell whether you're getting enough rest is if you wake up, you ask yourself, "Do I feel rested right now?" If you don't, you did not get enough sleep. Mm. All hail sleep. <laughs> I think number two would be, I'd say vitamin D. Yeah. Throw in some vitamin D there. 4,000 IUs. I would say vitamin D third. I would say my second would be have an overall healthy diet pattern. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, yeah. I, maybe I'm, we're both biased with that. <laughs> no, but I agree. Need specifics. But I like, agree. Just because like this whole thing, I think this is the good thing about COVID-19, right? There's always a silver lining. It's like, okay, people are paying attention to their health. But as things go back to normal, I don't think people are going to be as hypersensitive to their overall health again. I mean, I think the, the people that are are going to be, but I think, like, the COVID-19 brought up the conversation mm-hmm. of this. I'm sure people who never even entertained the idea of diet and immunity are starting to pay attention to it because, I mean, it's all over the news. It's all over the headlines. So I'm hoping that this sticks for some people and you start to realize how important it is to take care of yourself so that when stuff like this happens and as you age and you go through your lifespan and if you're not healthy, if you're not taking care of yourself 365 days per year, you're going to be in a bad position. And it starts with, like we were saying earlier, what you put into your body and how you treat it. Agreed. Overall, lifestyle factors play a huge role. Um, throwing in some foods that's got some probiotics, foods with fiber, I think super important. We talked about the vitamin D. We talked about vitamin C. Um, elderberry, I'd take it or leave it. Zinc, if it's in your multivitamin, you go right ahead. Yeah. But other than that, I think we covered it. I think we covered it. Okay, guys. Well, this was our uh, immunity and diet episode. If you guys have certain requests for topics, we love to hear them. We do our best to put out stuff that we think you guys will be interested in. We do a lot of polling on our virtual platforms to figure out what you guys want to hear. So if you're not already following us on Instagram, we are at nutrition.awareness. Like those photos, follow us, boost us, answer our silly Instagram polls. I think we're kind of entertaining on Instagram stories. You might be. You're entertaining. <laughs> you know how you talked about BCAAs the other day on Instagram stories. I even had a client who asked me about your story with BCAAs, and I'm sorry, I didn't watch it all the way through. <laughs> and she asked me something very specific about what Uh-oh. you said, and I was like, oh, I'm the worst part. <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't watch our story. <laughs> but yeah, so follow us. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. For topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest, please email kate at orlandodietitian.com. Want more nutrition awareness? Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real and keep it healthy.